The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Hagiga has been dedicated in memory of Hacham Raful Muhaddeb Ben Garaz and Marie Muhaddeb Bat Jamile. Ruah Hashem Tenihem Began Eden Elion Amen. Dedicated by Dr. Isaac and Lily Mahadev Hashem Ishmirem Vehayem Amen. Daf Chavav. Today's Daf is being studied by the Nishmat Abraham Ben Esther. Ruah Hashem Tenihenu Began Eden Amen. Today's Daf is being studied by the Nishmat Amanoach Shereftar Bekitzur Yamin Veshanim Ezra Ben Tunem Mazal. Ruah Hashem Tenihenu Began Eden Utin Shmato Tzurah Betzurah Hayim Amen. We begin today's daf on Chafei Amud Bet, and we start four lines from the bottom, starting at the new Mishnah. Now, just as an introduction to the Mishnah, in the <clears throat> previous Mishnayot or Mishnah, we learned a stringency that Tirumah has over Kodesh. Since we discussed that while barrels of Kodesh of shemen or yayin can be used for the mizbeach, while they are uh, tahor, even if bought by an amaris or brought by an amaris, it's tahor all year long. When it comes to tirumah, an amaris only has ne'emanut for tahara during sha'at agitot v'abadim, meaning at the time of the pressing season. So now the mishnah is going to bring another stringency, and that has to do with kiri heres. Normally, a kiri heres that is bought from an amaris, that's a pottery uh, vessel, the amaris is not trusted. Therefore, the kiri heres should be tameh. However, when it came to things of Kodesh, meaning pottery vessels that the haver is going to use for his Kodesh, for his korbanot, either to put his korban in it or even to cook his korban in it. So since these kirin were very uh, needed and they were very commonly used, Hachamim had to lighten up on their restrictions from buying Kiri'eris from an Amaris. Because if they would restrict it, the Chabir would have a very difficult time because he needs his Kiri'eris. And this would be a Gezerah It would be a decree that would be too hard for the community to follow. But we have a rule. And if the decree is too hard, the Hachamim do not decree it. So therefore, the Hachamim had to be lenient to a certain extent for a Haver to buy Kiviheres from an Amaris, and we're going to say that the Kiviheres is Tahor. Now, the Mishnah begins. Minamodi'im vilifnin ne'imanim al Kiviheres. Modi'im was the city outside Yerushalayim. So the Mishnah now gives us a radius. From Modi'in and within, meaning from Modi'in city and towards Jerusalem, going towards Jerusalem, Ne'emanim al Kiriheris, and Ama'aris, has a Ne'emanut for Kiriheris. Mina Modi'in vilahut, but from Modi'in and outward, away from Yerushalayim, in Ne'emanim. There is no Ne'emanut. So that is the radius. Now that she tells us, Mina Modi'in vilifnim, Second wide line. Modi'im Shem Krach. It's the name of a city. Rachok Mirushalayim Tet Vav Mil. was far from Jerusalem, 15 mil. Kedamad Masikhet Pesachim. 
So Mimenu Vilifnim Lisad Yerushalayim from Modi'im towards Jerusalem in that 15 mil radius, Ne'emanim Kaddarim Amea Aris, potters that are Amea Aris are trusted, Likach Mehem Kedicheres Haddakim, which is the small Kedim, Kegon, Kederot, Kosot, Vikitoniot. Those are small pots, cups, platters, or pitchers. So you see, because these are needed by every individual. Shi'ifshar belohim. They cannot uh, live without them, especially when it comes to using them for Kodesh. Ubirushalayim en osin kivshonot ashan. Well, they did not make pottery in Jerusalem itself, Rashi says, because of the smoke. Lo seed. They wouldn't make uh, pottery or clay, not for limestone, Below the Kedroto for making pots. So therefore, in Jerusalem, when you came to make a Qurban, you really wouldn't find too much Kiliharis, because they did not make these items in Jerusalem. The Gemara says, because they didn't want the smoke to blacken the walls of Jerusalem. So therefore, they had to make an area outside Jerusalem where you could buy them. The rabbis believed the Amar is in that zone. Like we said, the rabbis don't make a gezerah unless the majority of the sibur can withstand it. Now, one of the reasons it should be pointed out why kiliheres are so necessary is because many times they would cook the korban in the kiliheres. Now we have a rule. A korban is only allowed to be eaten by a certain time. After that certain time, the Qurban becomes notab. So the concern also is that they're going to use these kiliheres after they cook in it, after two days, let's say, now the meat that's swallowed in the walls of the kiliheres becomes notab. You cannot use them anymore. So the only thing they could do with that kiliheres is break it. So they were constantly going through kiliheres, so they needed it. So therefore the rabbis made this leniency. But there are three conditions that the rabbis attached to this leniency. Ketzad. Mishnah continues. Hakadar kederot. The kadar, the potter, that sells these kederot, these pottery vessels. Nichnas min If he enters within modi'in, means he goes past modi'in, now he's within that 15 mil zone. Hu kadar, That specific potter. Vehen kederot And those specific kerim. Then and the buyer, Ne'eman, have a Ne'emanut. We trust. Yatsa, however, once he leaves Modi'in, Eno Ne'eman. He's not trusted anymore. Now let's discuss these three conditions. Let's read it from Rashi. Hu HaKadav. Rashi. Mi Shevi'an Toch Ne'emodi'in. Heminu. They only believed the actual potter himself that brought the goods into Modi'in. Lefi she'i efshar. Aval imasran liyad kadar amaharet sa yoshev Modi'in or lefnim lo eminu. Which means the rabbis were lenient, however, only to the actual fellow that transported the pottery into that zone. They were lenient on him because he went through the burden to bring goods to that area in order to help the haver, in order to sell it to him. However, if let's say that potter comes in with his goods and gives his goods 
to somebody else who's in Modi'in or Nifnin to sell, we don't trust. So that's the first condition. Only the potter himself that brought the goods in. Secondly, that she vena kederot. Al-otana kederot shevi hu Which means they only trust him on his goods that he brought in. Let's say a potter in Mudi'in gives this potter that came in goods. So now the potter that came in has his goods, which we trust. And now he has some other stuff that other potters gave him when he got into the Mudi'in. Say, so no, he's only trusted on the goods that he brought in himself, not any other goods. And thirdly, the buyer. Only the potters that the Haver saw enter this zone. Because the Haver has to actually see the potter, the Kadar, enter. So only that guy's believed. Now, let's review the three conditions. Number one, it's only the vessels that were brought in. Which means... Those vessels themselves, the, the potter that came into the Modi'in area, gave those vessels to somebody else that's in Modi'in, it's not trusted. It's only that guy himself, the Kadar himself that brought the goods in. Number two, only those goods. I mean, he cannot sell any other goods except the goods that were brought in by himself. And number three, only a Kadar that the Haver saw come into the area. Yatsa. That she says, which means if he left Mudi'in, going away from Yerushalayim, he is not trusted. Comes the Gemara and begins. Tana Mudi'in, the city of Mudi'in itself. Which means we want to know how do you consider the city of Mudi'in itself. I know within Mudi'in, meaning within 15 miles from Mudi'in to Yerushalayim, this is Ne'emanut. But how do you consider the city itself? So the Gemara says, sometimes Modi'im is considered within, meaning there's Ne'emanut. Ta'amim kilahot, sometimes considered away. And therefore there's no Ne'emanut. How? Ketzad, how? Kedar Yotzeh. Let's say the potter is on the way out. He's leaving the zone, and now he's in Modi'im. He's on the way out, and the Haver Nichnas. And the Haver is entering, and they meet in Modi'im. So again, the potter is leaving the zone, and the haver is entering the zone, and they both meet in the city of Modi'in, Kedifnim. So then we consider it as if, as if it's within. And therefore the Kedim, he can buy our Tahor. Why? Because since the Kadar is leaving, so that if the haver doesn't get a chance to buy at this point, he's going to lose out, because the Kadar is leaving. So therefore they were lenient. If he catches in Modi'in, as the potter is leaving, and the Hakam is coming in, the haver is coming in, he could buy in Modi'in. If both are entering, or or both of them are leaving, now, if both of them are entering, mean both meet in Modi'in, so the halakha says, let them enter within Modi'in, and let them buy. Because since they're both entering, he can just walk through more past Modi'in, and buy within the 15 meal zone. Or well, for that matter, Shneim Yotzim. If they're both leaving, I mean the Haver and the Amaz are both leaving the zone and they meet in Modi'in, there the rabbis weren't lenient as well. Because there we say, if they were both leaving together, they should have, the Haver should have bought the stuff when he was within the zone. Why did he wait now until he got to Modi'in? Since they were both leaving the zone together and they met in Modi'in. So there's no leniency in that case. Now she says, 
or the more so if the Kadar is entering and the Haver is leaving. Because if the Kadar is entering and the Haver is leaving and they meet in Modi'in, so we tell the Haver, go back to Mod- go back to the zone, go back to within Modi'in in order to buy. So therefore there's one case that Modi'in is good and three cases not. The one case that's good is when the Kadar is leaving and the Haver is entering and they meet in Modi'in. There we say he has no choice. However, if both of them are leaving, both of them are entering, or the Kadar is entering and the Haver is leaving, in all those three cases we say the Haver cannot buy from the Kadar in Mudi'in proper. Comes the Gibran says, Amar we learned it in a Braita. Hakadar Shemachar Etakidirot. Actually, it's our Mishnah. Hakadar Shemachar Etakidirot. The Kadar that sells the Kidirot. And is within Modi'im. He's in the 15 mil zone. So the Gemara makes it the Yuk. It's because he's within. From Modi'im. Ha Modi'im Gufa, but Modi'im itself. The implication is, Lomeiman is not trusted. But I bring you from the end of the Mishnah. If he left Modi'im, he's not trusted. Ha Modi'im Gufa, Neiman. But it sounds like Modi'im itself, he's trusted. So you have to say, The case where Modi'im is trusted, the city itself, is where the Kadar is leaving and the Haver is entering and they meet in Modi'im. Because there, if he doesn't catch it, then he's not going to be able to buy Kedirot. And the case where we say Mudi'im is not trusted is when they're both leaving, so we say he should have bought it before, or Shneim Nikhnasim, we say he should wait until he gets past Mudi'im. Therefore we have a proof positive that Mudi'im can go either way. Tana, we have a statement, which means this which we said in the Mishnah, that we have, we trust the Amaris and Kirikhares, you should know it's only for things of Kodesh. It's not for Tirumah. So here you see another stringency that Kodesh has over Tirumah. There's an Imanut in that zone for Kiri Kodesh, meaning things that are going to be used for Korbanot, but not for uh, Tirumah. And also only Kiri Haris and Dakin, small vessels. Because small vessels are used by every individual. Whereas big barrels and things like that, only the wholesaler who's selling he uses those big ones to sell the goods. So therefore, that's not so necessary. But small vessels are very necessary. So therefore, we're learning two things from this thing. Number one, this whole Mishnah was only said by Kodesh, this thing you see, not by Tiruma. Number two, it's only said by Klihayda Tadakin, small vessels. Amar Ishtakish, the Shakish can explain to us what makes a vessel small. Vehu shinitalin biyado achat. You have to be small enough that you can hold them in one hand. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Afilu she'en nitalim biyado achat. Rabbi Yochanan says, even if they're bigger, that you cannot hold them in one hand, still they're going to be considered kri eres Which means, according to Rabbi Yochanan, so long as it's usable to cook or place korbanot in it, kodesh in it, that's already kri eres adakim. Even if it's a little bigger where you can need two heads to carry it, but it has to be at least uh, functional to use it for uh, cooking korbanot. 
second, Amar Ishtakis, second Mahloket. Lo shanu ela rekanim. That which we're leaning into, Shakis said, is only if they're empty. Meaning if you buy it from the Amahaz, there's nothing in it. Aval milihin, lo. But if there's goods in it, for example, if they're filled, let's say, with liquid or something like that, so we don't trust the Amaharis. Because the Shakish shows, if the liquid's going to be Tameh, so the kill is going to get Tameh, so therefore there's no Neiman, only empty. But if Yohanan Amar Afilu Mele'im, even if they're filled with goods, Afilu Afikarsuto Letocho, even if his garment is in the vessel. Now we know the garment of Amaharis, we learned already, is Midras. Bacharim gave it Avatum'ah, like the Zav. So this Yohanan is being very mean. He's like, even if we know there's something Tameh in there, like his Afikarsuto, which is his garment. And as she over here says on the words, Afikasuto, Afidu Mele'im Mashkin. The Mephashim all change this Rashi, because Afikasuto does not mean Mashkin, liquid. It means a garment. But the point is, the Bi'anan is lenient. But even if his garment is in there, which we know is Tameh, Midras, doesn't matter. They got the garment, and the Kirim remain Taot. The Amar but the Bi'anan agrees. The Mashkin Atzman Shintimi'in. That if they were liquid, let's say in the vessel, the liquid themselves, temi'im. But the vessel itself is tahor, which just sounds a little strange. We have an item, a vessel with liquid in it, from Amaris, within the Modi'im area. So he said, you could buy it from him and use the vessel for Kodesh, but the stuff that's inside remains tamir. So the don't be shocked at such a strange law. We learned earlier, according to Bet Shammai, if you have a vessel that's filled with mashkin, lagin temi'im, the vessel itself, he said, was Tameh, Tum'at Shiva'ah, or Mashkin Tehorin. While the Mashkin that was inside was Tahor, where you see you could split it. Remember the case of Bet Shammai, where you had the uh, corpse on the bottom floor, and you had a hole in the ceiling going to the second floor, and they plugged it up with the Keri Heres. So, according to Bet Shammai, it was belonging to Amaris. So we said that the Heres of Amaris is Tameh, but we said that we're going to split it. We're going to say that the vessels on the second floor... They will be tahor. However, when it comes to the, I'm sorry, when it comes to the food that's in the vessel, the food's going to be tahor, and the vessels themselves are going to need uh, hazai. You have to sprinkle on the third and seventh day. So you, we learned the case where you could split it. But don't be so shocked when the Yohanan says over here that when you buy from the Amaris, the vessel itself is tahor for kodes, while the stuff inside remains tamer. There is a precedent. We've had that. Earlier comes the next Mishnah. Gabain. Gabain are really the tax collectors that work for the non-Jewish king. They're Jewish people. They go in, Amaharis usually, and they go into the homes and they collect taxes. Either head tax or uh, tax for uh, real estate and things like that. So Let's say they entered the house of a Jew in order to take Payment. Let's say the guy didn't pay his taxes, so now they're going to go uh, repossess some of his goods. Furthermore, vechele ganavim or thieves, let's say, that went to guys as they stole goods. Shehaziru etakelim. But now the ganav, let's say, comes back and returns the stolen goods that he stole. Neemanim lomar lo nagarnu. We trust the ganav to say that we did not touch the kedicheres. To make them tamet. Now the only way you can make kiriheres tamet is by sticking your hand in the kiriheres. Like we always learned, kiriheres is only mitameh mitocho. 
So therefore, we learn your case now. Gabaim, the tax collectors, when they go rummage through the house, or the thieves that return goods, they have an emanut to say, we did not touch the inside of the kiddie. And therefore, they have to still use that kiddie for Kodesh. That's she. Ne'emanim, no wal shilunag'u le'tocho le'kodesh ne'emanim. Avalo le'trumah. So that she says this is a third humrah that we see Kodesh has, Trumah has over Kodesh. Which means for Trumah, we're not lenient. Which means for Trumah, the Ganab does not have any ne'emanut, or the Gabai, when he comes into the house to take the goods. However, for Kodesh, we'll be lenient. Ve'chula matnitim, so she says, this whole, all these mishtur that we're learning now, ahovet ba'kodesh ve'trumah kaimah. We're in the subjects of where Trumah is more chavud than Kodesh. We learned clearly in the Tosefta that she says, The Gabaim, the tax collectors that come to a house, they're believed, even for Hatat, which is a higher level, Now, I'm sorry, I take that back. What does Tarat Hatat mean? So that she explains, so I made a mistake there. That Khatat that she just quotes from the Tosefta is referring to Kodesh. So you see, he's believed for Kodesh, and he didn't touch anything, but not for Terumah. And then she brings it out, yeah, later on, that clearly for Khatat he's not believed. He's only believed for Kodesh, that he didn't touch the vessels, but not for Terumah. So let's read that again. They trusted to say we didn't touch Yerushalayim. Now, in Yerushalayim, the Gemara is going to say, in Jerusalem, they're believed on Kodesh. Now, what are we talking about? I thought they believed on Kodesh for Kelim, even within 50 mil of Yerushalayim. What does the Mishnah mean now that the Amaharis is believed in Yerushalayim for Kodesh? This seemingly is contradictory to what we learned earlier, so we'll wait for the Gemara to explain it. Now, on the holidays, on the Shalosh of the Galim, the Amaharis is believed that it's Kelim or Taor, even for that when the tax collectors come into the house, everything in the house is Tameh. What are you talking about? I thought we just said that when the Gabayim come into the house, they believed that they didn't touch anything. So now how can you tell me that everything is Tameh automatically? It depends. If they have a goy with them or not, which means sometimes when the Jew would go do the tax collecting, there would be a goy with him. He would go with the Gentile. So the Mishnah is going to explain it. If there's a goy with them, if there's a Jew and a goy now going doing the tax collecting, they go rummaging through the house. Well, we believe them to say they never entered the house at all. But we don't trust them to say that we entered and we didn't touch anything. Which is, if they say we didn't enter at all, okay, we trust them. But once they admit that they entered the house to start looking to take the taxes, to take the collateral from the guy, we do not trust that when he's with a goy, they didn't touch anything. Why? Well, what's the is a goy with him? Why automatically do we say that everything was touched if a goy is with him? So Gabriel gives two reasons. That the Jew is scared of the goy. Which means if they're not going to search the house thoroughly to take taxes from this guy, the Jew is worried that the Goy is going to beat him up. So he has fear from the Goy. So they're going to touch everything. And some say no, he's not maybe afraid of the Goy per se, but he's scared that the Goy is going to go to the 
authorities, the government, and tell on him that this Jewish tax collector is not doing his job. So therefore, when the guy is with him, he's scared of his malshinut. Therefore, he's going to do a thorough job. And therefore, when he's with the guy, if he says he never went into the house, Neeman. But if he's not went into the house and didn't touch anything, not Neeman. So the government says, my benai, what's the difference between the answers? Meaning, what's the difference if he's scared that the guy himself is going to beat him up, or the guy is going to go tell the authorities? So the government says, there's a difference. If you have a goy that's not really uh, uh, important, so you're not scared that he's going to beat you up, but you're still scared that he might go to the authorities. So that would be a nafkamina that still, when you're with him, we have to assume everything was touched because they're going to make a thorough checking in the house, going to go into every room to see what they can repossess. So therefore, that would be enough coming up. He's not hashuv. Well, you're not worried that he's going to beat you up, but you're worried that he might go to the authorities and tell him, therefore, they can make a thorough check. And therefore, we do not believe them. But if there's no goy, if the Jew goes in alone, then his amount to say he did not posel the kerihayres for Kodesh, like she said. Furthermore, we said, if a ganav sold the kerihayres, let's say, then returned it. Is the amount to say, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch the inside. Or the meaning, a should have been to Ganavim that enter the house, the house is Tameh only in the place where the Ganavim step, which is wherever you see the Ganavim rummage through, that place is Tameh. So you see over here that Ganavim are not trusted. Wherever the Ganavim step, we say it's Tameh. So I can you tell you when they return the item, if where they stepped in the house, you're telling me it's Tameh. They're bringing back an item they, they stole, they brought to their possession, certainly it's going to be Tameh. So how can you say to the Mishnah that when they return the item they trusted? Amar Pinhas, Meshemeh, We're talking about thieves that returned the item, not because they were fearful or scared. They returned the item because they made Teshubah. So therefore they're repentful. And therefore, in such a case, we're going to believe them. The guy's making Teshubah, we don't suspect he's going to lie. He wants to become better. So he's returning the item because he feels bad. So in that case over there, he's Ne'emam, also to say he did not touch it. Daikana, now we can make a proof of the Mishnah Dekhtani, because it says, She haziru et ha-kirim, that they returned the kirim. Haziru means on their own. So they're making Teshuvah. Shema' minnah. So therefore, he's believed because he returned the kirim because of Teshuvah, and therefore we do not suspect that he is going to lie. Ubiru shalayim ne'emanim ala Kodesh. We said what? In Jerusalem, they're believed on Tiri Heres for Kodesh. The Gemara explains, which means in Jerusalem, there's only a Ne'emanut for big vessels. When well, we said outside of Jerusalem, the 15 mil radius, small vessels. But because small vessels are needed for every individual. Big vessels not so needed, only for the sellers that are selling, let's say, Kodesh in Yerushalayim, Shemen or Yayin. Those are like the wholesalers and things like that. So they need big vessels. But we don't have to be lenient to such a big zone. So they were only lenient in Yerushalayim, which means big vessels, you have a leniency only in Yerushalayim. Now small vessels, because it's within the 15 mil from Modi'in to Yerushalayim. But we're talking about big vessels, they only gave a heter in Jerusalem proper. Now why do we have to make such leniencies regarding small vessels to have a zone where you can buy them from? So it says, She'en osim kibshonot Yerushalayim. Because we're not allowed to make pottery in Jerusalem because of the smoke. We don't want to smoke in the walls. So then would that to uh, be mekel in order to sell these items. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, 
שאין עושים כרצונות בירושלים, לא לדקים ולא לגסים. In Jerusalem they didn't make not small parts, not big parts. אומרים בדקים מוצלח להציל ירושלים. But uh, the people of Jerusalem, they need small potteries. שכל יחיד ויחיד נזכור בביתו, כי each individual has his קודש in his house. Therefore, לכן הוסיפו להם טהרה ויחידים מגיבול מודיעין. Therefore they lengthened the borders from מודיעין and inward to Jerusalem. Everybody needs these כלים. אבל בעלי הלשכה, but the people that work in the Beit HaMikdash, those are the people that are in charge of selling, let's say, wine and, and, and these things in the Beit HaMikdash that's stored in big vessels, המוסים נצחים לסיבון, די להם מנצחים לתוך העיר. ולשם בלבד אמינום על החביות, which means they only trusted are the big vessels in Jerusalem itself. So the big vessels in Jerusalem and small vessels from Jerusalem to Modi'im. Now she gives another reason, as we learned earlier, that the Yechidim, the individuals, would cook in these small vessels. And therefore they would constantly be breaking them. Because once you cook Kodesh in a small vessel, after a few days it becomes notar, you've got to break it. So there was a greater necessity when it came to these small vessels that were used for cooking. Therefore the Halakha says they believed in the 15 meal zone. However, big vessels, the Emanim, Davka, Yerushalayim, Kazgavran continues, Ubish'at HaRegel, Afala Terumah. But on the holidays, Shalosh Regalim, the Amaris believe that his Kirim are Tahor, even for Terumah. How do we know this? Amar The Pasuk says, kol ish Israel el And all the Jewish people gathered in the city, haverim. Like one man, haverim. All friends. The Pasuk made them all like haverim. This Pasuk was talking about Pilegus Begivah. When all the Jewish people gathered 11 tribes to go fight against the tribe of Benjamin. So it says they gathered all together, and the Pasuk calls them when they were gathering together, Haverim. So we see over here a principle, that when all the Jews gathered together, the Torah considers them Haverim, meaning people that are careful in Tumah Vitara. So therefore, when do the Jews get together? They get together also in the Negadim. Everybody comes to the convergence of Jerusalem. So therefore, when they get together in Yerushalayim, it's considered by Yasef, and therefore the Kulam Haverim, and therefore they have the status of Haverim on the holiday, then we can trust them even for their comes the next Mishnah. Let's say a person, a Tamir Hagam, a Haver, let's say. He's selling his goods on the holiday in Yerushalayim. So he started to open up a new barrel, a fresh barrel, and he's selling his uh, goods. He's selling uh, wine, oil, whatever it may be. Well, let's say he's started to sell his dough. He has a, a certain amount of dough that he's selling. He's selling it on the holiday. The Be'udah made Yigmon. The Be'udah says, even if the holiday is over, the, uh, the Haver can continue selling these goods, meaning they're going to still be considered Tahor. No. Once the holiday is over, you can't sell these goods anymore. Why? So it's an interesting logic. Hakamim say, when you're selling these goods on the holiday, well, since all the Amea artists that are buying... We consider them tahor, so when they touch the wine, it doesn't affect it on the holiday. However, after the holiday, the Amaharis now becomes tameh again. So retroactively, everything he touched on the holiday is going to become tameh. Therefore, according to the Hakim, he's going to throw it out. becomes uh, tameh, cannot be sold anymore. However, according to the Biudah, the Biudah has a different logic. The Biudah says, listen, if you're not going to let this guy that opened his barrel sell the leftovers that he has after the regal, he's not going to want to open his barrel to start selling. In the beginning. So therefore, this is the famous case of Etiru Sofan Mishum Tahilatan, that we allow him to sell after the holiday, 
Because if you don't let it to sell the leftovers, it's not going to open and sell the goods from the inception. Let's read Nashi in this case. Hapoteach et chabito. Chaber shepatach et chabito dem kol yayin berushalayim baregel. He wants to sell wine from his barrels on the holiday. Mechon abad yikaf. Any customer that comes to buy, me must mishin. Everybody feels the goods. Even Amaris feels. Doesn't matter on how they, Amaris we just said is Taor. Lo yikmor. So the Gibbon Mishnah says, Achar Aregel. He cannot sell the rest of the goods after the Regel. Apatishim Beregel in Teorim. Even on the Regel we say that Taor. Lo shetaratan Tehora. Not that they're really Taor. Ela sheberegel akor haverim. And the rabbis will lean it. We'll treat them like they're all haverim. Aval Achar Aregel. But after the Regel is over, they're touching now retroactively to be Tamer. Like we're going to say later on, because I'm regim, but drink the Azra, we're going to see the next Mishnah. The question, like, open, I'm Aris Maregim. The Behuda says, no, Yigmor. The Ta'amab and the Sikhat Besa, she says, three things, and this is one of them. So if you're not going to let him touch it, if you're not going to let him sell the leftovers, you're not going to sell from the inception. And they're not going to have people selling uh, wine and uh, oil in Yerushalayim. And uh, dough and things like that. So the Ruda is lenient. So comes the Gemara now and explains. was sitting on the porch of the Amar. So one of the rabbis asked the question. The guy who has leftovers, this Chaber, right? He has leftover goods. Can he keep the goods until next Regal? And then we'll say, since next leg the Amaharis becomes Tahor again, so I'll say that these items go back to becoming Tahor. I agree, you tell me you can't sell it after the regal. Tell me. But maybe if I, let's say I hold it from the regal, the leftovers, and I keep it till next regal, does it, do we say this is Amaharis, is now Tahor, maybe I can say the goods go back to becoming Tahor. I'm on the so the other rabbi tells him, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The Amaris touches it on the regal. How did you tell me you can wait to the next thing? Once the Amaris touches it, so then it's Tameh. So the regal will leave you. But how did you wait to the next thing? The Chaurah, the Tumah is going to be on it. After the regal is over, how could you uh, wait till next year? For sure, Tasur. So the rabbi said, what do you mean? Even on the holiday, he's touching it. So therefore, what do you mean? Even on the regal itself, the Amaris is touching it. We say, it's okay. So therefore, wait till the next regal, and it'll be okay as well. What kind of comparison are you saying over here? Because the Torah gave a that the Amaris on the holiday is tahor. But after the regal, the me'ai. Therefore, he didn't accept it. He said, after the regal, it's tahor. And if we leave, when he touches the other regal, that's because we have a heter. Amaris is the tower of the regal. But after the regal is over, we don't have such a heter. So therefore, he's telling him uh, nothing doing. So the says, Let us say that actually this is a machlok at Tanaim. We have one Tanaim statement that says, Oh, you see clearly. One statement says you're allowed to leave the leftovers until the next regal. And the second statement says, no, you cannot uh, leave it to the next regal. My love, Tanei. So it sounds like it's a machloket. Tanei, can you leave it to the next regal? Or not? The Gemara says, no. No. Had Rabbi Yehuda. 
that would have said, you could leave it, that's going according to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda was the opinion that actually said you could actually sell it, even after the other, you don't have to uh, leave it for next year. But the opinion that says you can leave it for next year, the Gemara wants to say Rabbi Yehuda, and the opinion that says is a banan. So therefore, I'll say that really, the only one that says you can leave it till next year is the Biudah, because the Biudah is really lenient. He lets you sell it. He lets you sell it even right away. So, of course, can you can leave it till next year. But the Rabbanan, that they're strict, they're going to say, no. The Rabbanan is going to say, you got to get rid of it. Stameh. Once it becomes Stameh after the holiday, retroactively, you can't leave it till next year. So, therefore, you see, according to the Hakamin, you can't leave it till next year. What are you talking? How can you say that the Biudah is the opinion that says, Leave it till next year. The Biudah lets you sell it right away. How did you tell me that that Tanayic statement that said, leave it till next year is the Biudah? The Biudah is not strict. You have to, have to wait till next day again. He lets you sell it immediately. It's the reverse. The opinion that says, don't leave it is the Biudah. Meaning, don't leave it, meaning sell it right away. The opinion that says, leave it, the Banan. That's the opinion of the rabbis. And therefore, what do you see over here? That the rabbis really hold yanihena. Uh, and what does it mean according to the Biyuda? Lo yanihena. Umay lo yanihena. She'en sarich le'aniha. She's according to the Biyuda. You don't have to wait till next day again. Lo yanihena. No, you don't have to wait. According to the Biyuda, one statement is saying, sell it right away. You have no problem. We're not gozir. Why? Because we don't let you sell it now. After the holiday, you're not going to open it up on the holiday itself to sell it. And we're not going to have anybody selling uh, uh, shemen and yain. Oh, but according to the Rabbanan, they say yanihena. So what do we see from this Gemara? That really the rabbis are indeed lenient, that they let you sell the goods next regal. And that's the maskana of this Gemara. Now there could be a question that's asked. If you remember on the last half, we had a similar question by Tirumah. We said that the Amar is only trusted on Tirumah and Shantakitot and Badim. And therefore, if you buy Tirumah from Amaris at that time, you trust them that everything, is, oh, oh, I'm sorry, if you buy it, the Kohen gets Tirumah from Amaris at that time, you say it's, okay, it's Taor. So we had a question, what if the Haver Kohen, he took the Tirumah, not in the time of the pressing, could he just wait until the next pressing, time comes, and then we'll say uh, it could be good. So the Gemara really didn't answer. Well, the Gemara should bring a proof from here. Just like we see over here, that the seller is able to wait until the next regal. We say that the stuff continues to be tahor. So we should say the same thing. Let the Kohen hold the Tirumat to Shantik to the Batim, Batim and should be tahor. So the Nefesh should give a very simple answer what the difference between the cases is. There, when the Haver took the Tirumat, after the Shantik to the Batim, he did something wrong. He wasn't supposed to take it at that time. He knows he shouldn't take it. So therefore, we knas him. We penalize him because he did something wrong. And then I'm not going to let him wait till the next Shantik he took the Medin. The penalty, it's a penalty. Now, Sheikh, in this case over here, the guy who was selling his goods in Yerushalayim on the holiday, he didn't do anything wrong. The poor guy's just trying to sell the goods. After the holiday, you're going to tell me, retroactively, he comes to me for what Tamara did on the holiday. Good, but I can be lenient. Wait till next day again, and it'll be Ta'or. And therefore, this case is different. And the logic over here is that since at the end of the holiday, meaning at the end of the holiday, everything is still tahor, technically, before the holiday ends, because Amaris is tahor. So whatever he touches is tahor. 
So if the Haver, let's say, at the end of the day when everything is still Tahor, he puts his wine away. And he saves it till next Regal. So that when he put it away, it was Tahor. When he took it out next Regal, really the Amaris is still Tahor. So therefore, it really, we can say, has one long state of Tahara. Because he closed the barrel before the holiday ended, so it was Tahor. And he opened it up when the Regal came around again, so it's still Tahor. So in this case, we can be lenient. So again, this is the Hidush of this Mishnah. The case of Potet Chavito Al-Gav Aregel. Gemara continues with the Mishnah, five lines from the bottom. Mishavad Aregel. Mahavirim Al-Tarat Azarah. The Mishnah says that after the regal is over, the Kwanim would have to uh, take the Kelim out of the courtyard of the Bet HaMikdash, and they would have to purify them. Why? Because the concern was that maybe there was Tum'at Ama'aris, that the Ama'aris touched the Kelim during the regal. Even though during the regal we said the Ama'aris is considered Tahor, but the concern is retroactively now the Kelim are going to become Tameh. And therefore, the Mishnah is telling us the practice was that they would have to purify the Kelim after the Regal. The Yom Shishi, Lo Ma'avirim, Shabbat. However, let's say if the holiday ended on a Friday, they would not purify the Kelim on Friday because of Kevod Shabbat. Seems the Kwanim were busy preparing for Shabbat. This was a big task. Take all the Kelim and dip them in the Mikveh and purify them. So they would wait until Sunday in order to purify. Even if the holiday ended on Thursday, they would not purify the vessels on Thursday. Because the Kwanim were not available. Why weren't they available on a Thursday in order to... Uh, Dip the Kelim. I understand Friday, you want to tell me it's Kibbutz Shabbat. Friday is a busy day. But if the regular ends on a Thursday, what should be the problem? So the Hachamim say that we learned in second Yomah that there was a custom that on the day after the holiday, they would clean the Mizbeach. Because all the Kurbanot that were brought on the Mizbeach on the regal, they would not clean the ashes off the Mizbeach. They wanted to let the ashes pile up that would be a zechut to show how much uh, korbanot that the Jewish people brought on the holiday. So there was a great mountain of ash that was on the Mizbeah by the end of the holiday. So therefore they spent Thursday cleaning up the uh, Mizbeah. That was a task that took uh, the whole day, so to speak. So therefore, the Be'udah says if the holiday ended on Thursday, they were also busy. So therefore they wouldn't dip the Kelim on Thursday. They wouldn't do it on Friday because of Kemot Shabbat. So therefore they have to wait until... Sunday. Let's read Rashi in the Mishnah. Ma'avirim al-Tarat Azara. Ma'avirim et ha-Kelim b'mekoman. They would move the Kelim from their place, in the Bet HaMikdash. Lat bilam. Ulta'er et ha-Azara metum'at ama'ares shenagru ba'em da-regel. Ulta'er the courtyard from the tum'at ama'ares that he touched it on the regel. Even though we learned on yesterday that what? That the Hachamim made the Ama'aris Haverim. 
that on the holiday, call yourself Haverim. Everyone is considered Tahor. No Mepneshet Tehorinen. It's not that they're really Tahor. It's that we give them a status of Tahara. It's a deen. The rabbis say, okay, we're going to treat them Tahor. But what? After the holiday is over, retroactively, we're going to say whatever they touched is really Tameh. Hilkak Lahara Regen Magahan Tameh Lemafreya. Therefore, after the holiday, whatever they touch is going to become Tameh retroactively. Next word is Shabbat. Each queen had to prepare for Shabbat so they wouldn't purify the clean on Friday. And we explained the fish and Kwanim Pinuidin. That was seen in the uh, Gemara. Gemara says, Tana, the fish and Kwanim Pinuidin, Badeshin. But I explains one line that the reason why they weren't available on Thursdays because they were cleaning up the ashes that were on the mizbeach from the holiday. As she says, That's like the, the mound that they placed on top of the mizbeach. So therefore, that was a task that the Motzei Tov. So they would not do it on Thursday, not on Friday. They would end up doing it on Sunday. Ketzad Mishnah, Nu Mishnah. Ketzad Ma'avirim Atarat Azara. What was the process? How did they actually purify the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash? Matbidin et ha-kinim shayu b'mikdash. They would purify the vessels that were in the Bet HaMikdash. Ve'omrim lahem. They would tell the Kohen Ama'aris on the holiday, Hizaharu shelo tig'u bashulhan. So whatever you do, do not touch the shulchan, because there was no way for them to purify the shulchan, as we'll see soon. So therefore, all the other kelim, after Amar is kohen, went into the inner areas where only a kohen can go and he touched things. That's after how they no problem. We, we take them and we dip them. However, they would warn them, listen, don't get involved with the shulchan, don't touch it. Why? Because the pasuk says, lechem panim lefanai tamid that the showbread that were on the shulchan have to be on the shulchan tamid. Always. That means you're never allowed to have a moment during the week without the shulchan in its place with the lechem on it. If the amahaz is going to touch the shulchan, what's going to happen? You're going to have to pick up the shulchan and go dip it in the mikveh. So for the ten minutes it takes to go dip it in the mikveh, you went against the Torah's rule of tamid. Again, the tamid rule is it's got to be there constantly. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So therefore, they would warn the Amaharis, please, don't touch the Shulchan. Because if you touch the Shulchan, we're going to have a problem. We're not going to be able to, we're going to have to dip it, we're going to be going to go against the Torah's law of Tamid. The Mishnah continues. All the vessels that were in the Bet HaMikdash, they had doubles and triples, which means they had replacements. Or the Kalim of the Bet HaMikdash. Sometimes two or even three replacements. If the first ones became Tameh, so right away, interim while they're purifying uh, one vessel, they would put its substitute in its place. All the Kalim in the Bet HaMikdash would need Tevila, meaning after the Regal, because maybe the Kohen Amaharis touched the uh, vessel, <coughs> except for the two altars, that's the golden mizbeach, 
and the mizbeach nechoshet. They call that the kapra mizbeach. The penishehem kekarka, because they have a status of karka, has the status of ground. At least by the mizbeach nechoshet, the pasuk writes mizbeach adama taaseli. It calls the mizbeach adama. So as a deed of ground, we know that karka is not mikabel tumah. Something that is considered earth, ground, is not mikabel tumah. So that explains at least why the mizbeach nechoshet is not mikabel tumah, because it's called mizbeach adama. We'll have to see why exactly the mizbeach zahav is not mikabel tumah. Seemingly, it's uh, gold plated. It should be uh, receiving uh, tumah. We'll wait for the gemara. And Mishnah only discusses the mizbeach nechoshet because it's adama. And Adama is not Mikabel Tumah. So even if somebody touches the Amaris, it doesn't matter. It's like you touch the ground. You don't got to uh, immerse the uh, ground in the ground. Devrer Bidi Aizet. That's the Bidi Aizet Shita. Vachamim Omrim, Mepenesheen, Mitzupin. So you know why? These items are not Mikabel Tumah. The Mizbechot, the Mizbech Azahad, the because they are plated. The Gemara is going to explain to us what that means. Seemingly, that's not a reason to say they are uh, Tahor. That is the reason to say they are tameh. Because normally when something is plated with metal, that makes it a reason to treat it like a klimatechet. So we don't know what the Hachemim was saying. The reason why you don't have to dip the mizbeach, I understand the bidi'ezid. You want them because it's like karka, it's like ground. But what is the bidi'ezid? What does Hachemim mean when they say because they are plated? That doesn't sound like a reason to teach me that they're not tameh. That sounds like a reason to tell me they are tameh. So we have to wait for the Gemara to explain shitat Hachemim. I'll give it up begins. Tana. Hizaru shimmet gu bishulhan ubiminola. Oh, so quite it is Braita says they would tell the Amaris, listen, be careful. Don't touch the Shulchan. It's on the regal. And don't touch the menorah. So Yamara says, Betana Didan, my Tama no Tani Menorah. How come our Tana did not include menorah? Our Tana of the Mishnah said that they would tell the Amaris, be careful, don't touch the Shulchan. Why did our Mishnah not say don't touch the Menorah as well? There's a Mahloka over here. Gebra says, Shulchan ketibbe tamid. Because by the Shulchan it says, lehem nefanai tamid. And if the Shulchan always has to be functioning, and if the Amaris touches it, we're going to have to go against the Torah's law of tamid. Menorah lo ketibba tamid. But the menorah doesn't say tamid. What does this mean? It doesn't say tamid. If you look at the Torah, it does say tamid by the menorah also. It says, la'alot ba ner tamid. However, that tamid of the menorah means me'erev adboker. Which means, when do you have to light the menorah? In the evening. You light it every evening until the morning. La'alot ba ner tamid. Tamid means the consistency. Like, which I can call the olat tamid. Olat tamid doesn't you, you bring the olat all day long. Then you bring it. Consistently, every day, you light the menorah. So therefore, since you only lit the menorah, that means technically you had the whole morning, if the menorah got tamer, to dip it, kosher it, purify it, that is, and by the time the uh, afternoon comes around, you'll be able to light it again. So therefore, the tamid of the menorah is not like the tamid of the shulhan. The tamid of the shulhan says, once you set the table, the leham has to be there tamid. That doesn't say me'erev adboker. Has to be there the whole, the whole week. So therefore, our Mishnah says we're not worried if he touches the menorah. If he touches the menorah, there's a way to purify it without uh, missing a uh, missing a night. Oh, the idach. Oh, so what is the brayta? So why does the brayta say that you have to warn them not to touch the menorah? 
Since the Pasuk says that the menorah is parallel from the Shulchan. In the Beit HaMikdash, you had the menorah facing the Shulchan. So since it says that the menorah must be facing the Shulchan, It's like it says Tamid by the menorah. Once already the Torah has tell you the menorah has to face the Shulchan. And we know the Shulchan has to always be there. So whenever the Shulchan is there, you have to have the menorah facing it. So therefore, from that pasuk, it teaches me that the menorah also has to be there constantly. So that's the shita that says, therefore, it's got to be there constantly. Because it always has to be mul facing the shulchan. And once we know the shulchan, has got to be there tamid. So therefore, the menorah, by extension, also has to be there tamid. Fidach, what does the other rabbi say? That pasuk is just coming to tell you where to put it. It's not coming to tell you how long it's got to be there. What it says, put it, move the middle of the, the shulchan. Does that mean you have to leave it there the whole time just when the shulchan's there? Just coming to give you a placement. So therefore, he says that what? Come down, we have the fantastic machlok between Al Mishnah and the Braita. According to Al Mishnah, you only have to warn the Amaris from which Kelly from the shulchan. And actually, that's according to everybody. Because the shulchan has to be tamid, and you cannot move it. And it's got to stay there. And that's not a question. Regarding the menorah, we have a controversy. According to the Tan of our Mishnah, you don't worry about the menorah. Let them touch the menorah. Why? Because the tamid that's written by the menorah, first of all, doesn't mean 24 hours a day. The tamid that's written by the menorah just means every single night. So if I'm not worried, if you miss the med, we'll take it in the day, in the morning. We'll dip it. By the night, it'll be tahor. Secondly... I'm not concerned on the fact that it says that you should place the menorah in front of the shulchan. That doesn't mean that the menorah has to be there constantly like the shulchan. That person is just telling you where to put it. Put the menorah in front of the shulchan. It's giving you a placement. However, the Tana of the Brayta says no. The menorah itself also has to be stationary in its place. Just like the shulchan. Because the pasuk tells us that the menorah is in front of the shulchan. It's like the shulchan is tamid. The menorah is tamid as well. Therefore, we have to tell the Amaharis, listen, don't touch the menorah. Because if you touch the menorah, you're going to cause us to go against the uh, law of tamid. So that's a very important mahloket amongst the Tanaim. Gemara now has another question. We have a cloud like this in the laws of Tumavitara. Any kli. That is a wooden kli. That's asui lenachat. Asui lenachat means it's made to be stationary. Meaning it's not used, meaning it's not built to be moved. It stays in its place. That's called a kli. It's ha'asui lenachat. What's the law? Bechol kli etz ha'asui lenachat lo metameh. Klal. Wooden kli. That's stationary. Cannot be mikabel tumah. Fact. How do you know this from? My tama dumya desak ba'inan. When the Torah talks about the different items that can be mikabel tumah, says the pasuk or etz. What is one of the items? And in the same pasuk, it talks about sack. Sack is, let's say, a, a garment made out of or keli made out of goat's hair. Make, make a sack, like we say, a sack, a regular sack, right? Burlap, we'd call that. So he says, obviously from the pasuk that compares sack 
an etz. Ma sack mitaltel malevirekam, just like a sack. You can carry it when it's empty, obviously, move it around. And when you fill it up, it's also, you can also carry Make a sack, then you fill it up with the product, and you carry it. So a sack's properties are, it's metaltel, male, verekam. It can be moved. Avkol metaltel, male, verekam. So it teaches us all items, if you want them to receive tum'ah, you have to be like a sack. And therefore, a wooden keli also, if it's like a sack in the sense that you move it, male, verekam, fine. But if not... It's not going to be I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a keli that it's metaltel when it is rekam. Have a, let's say, an empty box, right? Wooden box. You can move it when it's empty. But you cannot move it when it's full. Because if it's a certain size, let's say the size of the box is 40 se'ah. Now, if you're going to put 40 se'ah in a wooden box, it's 200 gallons of water, when you lift it up, what's going to happen to the box? It's going to break. So therefore, while the kli is metaltel rekam, it's not metaltel maleh. Such a kli can I become tameh. Or an opposite case. Let's say it's a type of kli that if you fill it up, you'll be able to transport it. Right? You'll be able to, to move it, let's say. It's possible. So it's metaltel maleh. But it's a type of kli that you never move. Just sit in this place always. It's, it's not metaltel rekam. You just leave it in its place. So up for kli etz, get the rule. For kli etz, the mekabel has to be metaltel male verekam. If it's not metaltel in both those two ways, it can't be mekabel tumah. How do you know that rule? From sak. Oh, sak or etz. Torah compares the way sak is mekabel tumah to the way etz is mekabel tumah. What do you call this kli etz that is stationary? We call it kli etz asui lenahat. That's made to be stationary, not to be moved. Now let's go back. The Shulchan and the Beit HaMikdash. What was it made out of? Wood. That's wood. The Shulchan stays in its place. So therefore it would fall into the category of a classic. Now we have a rule. Kli'ayetz. Eno mekabel tum'ah. So therefore, uh, the Gemara is asking a question like this. What are you telling the Amaharis? Zaharu, be careful. Don't touch the Shulchan. Let him touch the Shulchan. Let him touch it. What's going to happen if he touches the Shulchan? You say, he's going to make tamid. He can make mekabel tum'ah. After all, it's a kli'ayit sa'asui le'nachat. And a kli'ayit sa'asui le'nachat. Eno mekabel tum'ah. You're going out of your way. Don't touch the shulchan. We have a tamid. We have a problem. Not going to have any problems. The Gevara should have just said very clearly, the shulchan, let the Amaris touch it, and nothing can happen to the shulchan. Why? Because it's But that the Gevara says, So the Gevara says, no, you don't understand how the Shulchan is used. The Shulchan is also moved. They, they metaltel it. They pick up the Shulchan. The Shulchan is at some times lifted up. You thought it was stationary? No, it's not stationary. 
Sometimes they lift it up. When do they lift it up? Kedrish Lakish. The Amarish Lakish, my dichtiv. What do we do? What do we interpret the pasuk that says Ala Shulchan Hatahor? Pasuk writes on the Shulchan that's Tahor. Now, if the pasuk writes the Shulchan that's Tahor, Michla Al Shutame. That implies that the Shulchan can become Tameh. If you call it Shulchan Tahor, that implies that it's able to become Tameh. Ve'amai, how can a Shulchan become Tameh? Kliya Etzah Asulina Ahatu Ve'no Mekabel Tumah. Do you when the pilgrims would come up for Oleh Galim on the holidays, the Kohanim would lift the Shulchan up from its place and show the Oleh Galim the showbread that were on the table. What was the purpose for them to see the showbread? They would tell the people, Look at how much Akadosh Baruch Hu loves you. That the bread is just as fresh, the way Tosafor explains. Or according to that sheet, just as hot as from the day we put it on, just as the day we're taking it off, it remains fresh and hot. So they would show them this miracle. They would lift the, 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 the shulchan up in front of the kahal to show them how much God loves B'nai Yisrael. The Amar Abiyah Yisrael B'nai Levi, Nez Kadol Na'asa B'nai Hanapanim. A great miracle took place regarding the Lehanapanim. Kisiduro Kak Siluko. The way they placed it, that's the way they took it off. They would, and that was a week later. Right? They would set it up on Shabbat. And they would take the old bread off the following Shabbat. Shereimar, Lasum Lechem Chom. To put hot bread, on the day that they took it off, which means uh, the bread miraculously stayed fresh and hot for a week. Also, what do we see over here? That they did move the table. Oh, so now you have a klal. The table is not considered a kli'ayat sa'asui l'nachat anymore. Why? Because they move it. When do they move it? Three times a year. Under the galim. They would lift it up to show it to the B'nai Yisrael. That's enough to make it a movable item. So therefore, yeah, the Shulchan really can be mekabel tum'ah. Oh, and that's why you would tell the Amar, don't touch the Shulchan. Because we're going to have a problem. Because it's going to become Tameh. And then we can't now go dip it because you have the problem of Tameh. Good? Now the Kabbalah goes the other way. Kabbalah says... Oh. You know the Shulchan, although it's a Kli'at, it was gold-plated. It was plated in gold. Now we have a rule that although a wood Kli has the ability, let's say, uh, a wood Kli, like we're saying now, that's, asuine, that's not Asuna Nahad, has the ability to be mikabel tumah, correct? So the Gemara says, hold it. Why didn't you hit it from the angle that it is mitzupeh, that it is plated? That she says sheu matechet, dechli matechet lo et kash letzak, which means like this: even if you tell me it's also lenachat, even if you want to tell me it was stationary, that's not a problem. 
Because the rule of stationary items that are not mikabel tumat only by wood. The menorah is not wood. The menorah is considered metal. And when it comes to metal items, even if it's asuy ne nahat, it has the ability to mikabel tumat. So for the Gibbara's question, you just told me, oh, it's Kasule Nahat, but so not some Kabir Tumah. So what was your answer? No, it's not Kasule Nahat. You still lift it up. Forget about that. Even if it's Kasule Nahat, even if, let's say, it's stationary, I never moved, still it should be able to be Kabir Tumah. Because you're forgetting one important fact about the Shuhan. The Shuhan is considered the Klima Tichet. It's a metal case, not a wooden keli. Why? Because of the plating. And what do you know about the plating? So the Gibbara is going to prove to us that a keli goes after its plating. You might argue, no, it's wood and gold. How, how do you judge it? So the Gemara is going to prove to you now that when you have a keli that's plated, the plating is the ikad. How do you know? That's a table. Dulfaki. Dulfaki is like a foldable chair. As she says, that was made, let's say, out of uh, leather. Shinifhatu. Let's say the table is made out of wood. Right. It was hot. Let's say part of the table uh, became uh, missing. Like it broke off, let's say. So you have a hole, let's say, in the middle of the uh, table. Or let's say you plated the table with marble. That's stone. Now, stoneware is not mikabel tum'ah. Wood is. So what do you do to this table now? You covered it now with marble. But you didn't cover the whole table with marble. You left a little area still of wood, enough to put a cup on the table. So you left a little area, enough to put kosot over there. Tameh. So the Mishnah says over here that what? It still is considered a table. What type of table? A wooden table. And therefore, as a result, even though you put majority is uh, marble, doesn't matter. It still functions. Like its original function as a table, how does it originally maintain its uh, table status? Because there's still enough wood where you could put a glass down, a cup down, it still remains the status of Tameh. No, a cup is not big enough. It has to have at least the space of a, to put pieces of meat and bread. Right. But what do you see the common denominator these rabbis are? That if you would cover the table, with all marble, it would be considered marble, even though there's wood underneath. And everybody would say it would not be become tameh. So what do you see? You go after the plating. So let's go back to the case of the Menorah, the Shohans. <laughs> the Shohan was plated with gold. So therefore, even if you want to tell me it's Asui Nenahat, you don't have to come and answer me, no, three times a year, they lifted it up, they showed it, it's not not. Go with the fact it is Lenachat. But it's not a Kiri'at. It's a Klimatechet because of the plating of gold that was on. And I just proved to you from this statement over here that a Kiri goes after its covering. Haraya, the only reason why this Shulchan that we talked about retains its Tumah status because it still has a little piece of wood, enough to put a Kiri on it or Hatichot. But if the whole thing was covered, it has a status of Shayish. Let's say it's Shayish, not become their Tumah. Kibbutz says, Maybe you'll tell me, Shani shitim dehashibi velo batle. Maybe you'll tell me, maybe the shulchan is different, because the shulchan was made out of very 
precious wood. Not stam wood. It was made out of atzeshitim. And therefore, I'll say, maybe you don't go after the plating if the wood is considered hashuv. And therefore, by the shulchan, even though there's a plating on it, the wood is daikah. And continue the thought process. If the wood is daikah, it's considered kiliyet. Oh, it's kiliyet, they're not. No, they lifted up all the galim. Right, that's fine. And then the thought process of the Gemara works out. However, the Gemara says that's not so good. This only is good according to the Shlakish, the Amar, Lo Shanu Ela Bichli Aksalgim, Habaim Midiratayam. Aksalgim is the name of a place. And Tosavur explains that the Kirim that came from there were very Hashuvim. Which means, if the wood is very Hashuv, so then already we go after the wood. Aval bechlim mesamim lo batle. Let's read that she. That she says lo shanu. That she couple lines on the bottom. Ha diktani sipuyo mevatelo. I said it the opposite way. That what it says that we go after the sipui that you go after the plating. Ela beatze aksaglim sheeno chasuv kol kach. That's I said it backwards. Aksaglim is considered cheap wood. So, the Shtaki Shel, you're right. This rule of you go after the plating is Zavka by cheap wood. Aksaglim wood. However, by Misamim wood, which is Hashul wood, you don't go after the plating. Oh, so the Shtaki is very good. So I can answer by the table, the Shtaki rule. You don't go after the plating at the table, why? Because Atsishitim, and if it's not considered Mitzufin, it's considered a Kiliyat, and all four parts of the Gemara goes. However... But Rabbi Yohanan held, doesn't matter what type of wood it is. Even if it's expensive wood and it's hashuv wood, you go after the plating. So Rabbi Yohanan, we're back to the question. The shulchan, hashuv wood. But that doesn't matter to you, Rabbi Yohanan. Once you put a plating on it, you go after the plating. So that's what's really considered kli, matechet. What's considered kli, matechet. So therefore, it's mekabel to ba even if it's a suli nachat. Vechitem, so maybe I give you a different answer. Kan besipui omed, kan besipui sheeno omed. There's two different types of platings. There's the plating that is omed. You know what omed means? You fastened it onto the keli. You put the plating on. You didn't just cover it. You took nails and you banged it in. So now it's omed. It's firmly fastened on the keli. Then I'll say that's a plating. But maybe I'll argue in the Shulchan's case, they didn't nail the plating onto the wood. They just covered it. They fashioned the gold. They just covered the table. So maybe I'll tell you in that case, it's not considered a plating. And therefore, it's considered kliyat. Maybe that's the haluk. Maybe that's why the Gemara calling the Shulchan it's. And then what's dealing with it? Is it Atsulinachat? Atsulinachat? It's not considered a Kli Matechet. Because the plating over here is not Omid. It's not firmly fastened with nails on the Shulchan. Well, the Gemara says that can't be. Why? Because we have a question recorded that the Shlakish asked the Yohanan. Bitsipui Omid or Bitsipui She'en Omid? He asked him exactly that question. The Yohanan. When we say go after the plating, 
What type of plating? Omed or inomed? Fastened or even not fastened? Bechofet lebazbizav or she'enu chofet lebazbizav? When we say the keli of wood is gold plated or plated, does it mean the whole keli has to be plated, including the rim? Or even if the rim is not plated, which means maybe, maybe when we say it plated, it means a cut of the keli. The rim is more like it's, uh, you know, just for fashion, the, uh, the rim, let's say. So the, when we say covering, here's the two questions. What type of covering are we talking? Firm or not firm? Covering the rim or not covering the rim? You know what he answered to me, Hanan? Vamarleh, lo shena b'sipui omed, ve lo shena b'sipui she'en omed, lo shena b'hofet b'azbizav, lo shena b'she'en hofet b'azbizav. Oh, so he said that make a difference. If we see according to the Hanan, any type of plating is considered plating. Whether it's covering any type of wood, it's considered plating even hashu. So therefore, we're locked. If you Hanan, you make no exceptions. And therefore the She'ilah is going to be by the case of the Shulhan. Even though the wood is Hashuv, even though the Sipuy is not Omed, the Fishi taught the Hanan, that's considered Klimatechet. And what's the word Klimatechet? Klimatechet is Mekabel Tum'ah. So therefore, what did you have to tell me on this whole line of reasoning of the Gemara? You said, hey, what are you talking? This is clean. And the foot should not be coming to man. You have to come out and say, no, it's not. Because they used to lift it up on the other galim to show it to the, to the people. And that's why it is coming to man. Leave that whole line of thought. Just a very simple. You know what's coming to man? You know why you have to warn the Amahas how to touch it? It's a clean ticket. What makes a clean ticket? The chipui. And the fish you touch your hands, you go after the chipui under all circumstances. I don't care if it's on Sishi team. I don't care if it's not on it. I finished. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.